You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Hey, boys. Look at this guy. How are you? Chris, you have a little bedhead. What time is it there, may I ask? Uh, mate, it's, it's 6 a.m. It's actually quite a late start. 6 a.m. <laughs> Chris is coming to us from the future. <laughs> yeah, it's 6 a.m. on, what day is it? I don't even know what day it is. Thursday. Thursday morning, 6 a.m. What are you, Wednesday afternoon? Mm-hmm. What's it like? <sighs> Living in the future. Yeah, I like it. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen for you guys, so. <laughs> it's a bit scary, though. <laughs> Is it really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like. Are you chatting to us before your day gets rolling? Like, you're going you're gonna to have a full day of work after this, and you just, you're going out of your way to make this happen? Yeah, boys. I, um, I'm actually not at work this week. I'm at the snow. So, um, I've got a, a week of snowboarding and um, having a cup of coffee now and, um, have a nice chat with you boys before we hit the slopes. Where? Um, yeah, we don't have much snow in Australia. Where's the snow? <laughs> it's, uh, have you heard of Perisher or, um, Threadbow? It's about, it's about 600 kilometers. So what's that? 400 miles, um, south of Sydney. You have mountains and snow or is this like an indoor resort? <laughs> no, it's not an indoor resort. It's more like a bump. Like, <laughs> we just walk up yeah. this little bump and then and head back down. Now, the tallest mountain for us is it's about 2,000 or 2,200 meters. Oh, that's a mountain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, it's pretty good. My ignorant American self is coming out. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing like yours. It's nothing like yours, but we do. We do what we can with it. Um, that's why I live on a staircase, you know, or a stairmaster. It's better than mm-hmm. what we have where we live locally here in the States. We have access to nothing comparatively. And you're dead winter right now. So I suppose like your season, I have to imagine it gets warmer there than it gets here in our peak summer. But like your peak winter can't be like where you live. You're not seeing snow, right? You got to go way inland. Yeah. Peak winter for us is it's only about, I mean, it gets to six or seven degrees, which is, which is kind of cold, but winter here is minus five and it's, it's we we got lucky. It's been snowing all snowing all week, and um, yeah, we've been having some fun. I can't feel my legs though. Two days of snowboarding, and I've got I got the worst DOMS I've had in I reckon this year. My VMOs are like really, yeah. But we went hard for two day <laughs> two days. <laughs> you strike me as the kind of guy that works out so much and does so many different styles of races that you'd be prepared for anything. I mean. I actually do feel good this time. I haven't been I haven't been to the snow in about five years. Um, I used to go every year, and you know when you do something new, anything new, and you're going to get a little bit of doms, you're going to get a little sore. Um, and we had we probably went eight hours each day, and we did a big we did a big farmers carry uphill workout before the snow yesterday. So um, <laughs> I think that could that could have played into it a little bit, but no, they're feeling good. They're feeling good. In case you uh, guys haven't picked up on this, uh, we're talking to Christopher Woolley, and he's in Australia, which seems like a big deal because you are our first Australian guest and the largest time gap we've had to coordinate to schedule a recording. So thankfully, I was taking care of that because Bracken 
would have been off by at least two to four hours, I would say, in some capacity, right, Bracken? <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's generous. Minimum. Yeah, that's not bad. Three hours. Yeah. My, my burning question before we get into the important stuff, and, and Bracken alluded to us being ignorant Americans, which we absolutely are. Um, all right, you see all these viral videos of these kangaroos that look like bodybuilders living in your country. Now, does this happen when you're just like – driving down the street and these kangaroos are like rats and they're that prevalent and they all look like they do steroids and, and pump iron or is this like, is that like a rare exception chris that's what i want to know mate that's a that's a hundred percent true you know you go into the, the shopping center and you're trying to get some bananas and you've got to fight these kangaroos off i mean you literally we're fighting them non-stop come on now <laughs> no they're not it's not as bad as you as as you see but um I mean, down here in the snow area, we'll be driving along and you've literally got to stop in the middle of the road because there's kangaroos on the middle of the road looking at you and they'll move when you, when, when, when you, when they want to move. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, there's a lot of them around. <laughs> Are they good eating? They're delicious. Delicious. Hmm. If you know how to cook a kangaroo, it's amazing. It's almost like when you cook veal or venison. So it's similar to a venison. It's quite lean. Um, really good for you, but if you if you cook it wrong, it's it's horrible. <laughs> this is a side tangent right now, but now we're in it. Um, <laughs> I listened to my outdoor podcast, <laughs> and somebody from Australia was on one of these things, and they said there's an actual market because kangaroos are pests. So you will have like bounty yeah. hunters go out and kill kangaroos, and then it's actually sold as as a meat source in Australia. Is that correct? Did I hear that correctly? You can actually buy this stuff. Yeah, I mean it's on the it's on the shelf, you know, right next to the beef and the lamb. You've just got kangaroo, but it's it's delicious. Like you'll you'll love it. It sounds kind of weird to be eating kangaroos, but it's just like eating a cow, I guess. And there's a lot of them, but yeah, they're tasty. Yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you some over. What is that price? I suppose it'd be price per kilo for you compared to beef or or lamb. Uh, it's cheaper. It's cheaper, but everything over here is exponentially more expensive at the moment i think like the same yeah. for you guys as well i think you naturally have higher prices on everything though being an island yeah it is but i found that i mean sydney especially is quite expensive i found when i was in america recently like i was in i was in expensive places like san diego and malibu and it was more expensive um but yeah it is what it is last question about kangaroos how much kangaroo does the average person eat in australia like how many times per month would you eat kangaroo you let's ask you exactly like how many times last month did you eat kangaroo and is it maybe key to your success is what i'm getting at i mean the best is you, you blend up some kangaroo put it in your coffee you know kangaroo powder that's probably one of the best best ways to hit it no not really um <laughs> yeah man, i had it I, I had it once last <laughs> once last month um we do ride in the pouches though. That's a pretty fun thing. So you know how you've got all like the lime scooters and the electric bikes. We just sit in the kangaroo pouches and go to work. So that's that's my favorite thing. Where do you put the quarters? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't want to know. <laughs> Mate, it's all it's all cardless now. You swipe your card, and you're good to go. Good start. <laughs> now, Chris, I ran into you yeah. in Vegas. You did. I, I was. I loved that. I was a bit starstruck too. Yeah, you don't know this, Kirk. We were we were walking home on the same path together from yeah. the venue back to the hotel, and we had a good thousand meter walk together. 
Chris, Lisa, and I, and we got to just chat. I'd never talked to Chris in person, but because of people like Yancey, who has worked with and next to Chris for years and other people who've competed against him, I felt like I knew you already, but I didn't realize until I saw you that I didn't know you at all. I know. Uh, it was actually that was the best kilometer of my life. I think it was top three for me. <laughs> what was your, what was your best kilometer ever? Probably Matt Murphy. Ouch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I meant top three Australians ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt Murphy's a good bloke. <laughs> well, we talk about you as far as like over in the states. I mean, we have listeners all over the world now. Luckily but still predominantly like North America. And you're always one of those guys, like, you know, especially Mr. Jack Bauer. It's always like you're one of, when we talk about like the Australian contingency or we talk about um, non-U.S. contingency, your name is always brought up. And then here you just came over and did a stint in the U.S. And I don't know how frequently you have done that. Um, Did it live up to your expectations? How was the experience? All of that. Because you're coming off. When was that? That was the spring, right? So you weren't here that long ago. Yeah, that was, it was May, June. So it was, I've kind of, I've done it, uh, I've done three at the moment. One of them mm. was way back when I did a couple stadium races. Um, and I did four stadium races. And that was good fun. I was racing against Killian, Isaiah. And um, I had, that was, I think that was 2019. And I had a few good races there. I think, I was I lost to Isaiah twice by about fifteen to ten seconds. So I think on the there's a couple of videos where we're both on the um on the monkey bars at the end and we got a sprint finish. And then the other one I remember passing Killian in one of the stadiums. I remember running next to him and running and passing him on the flat and just going, I'm passing Killian, what is happening? And uh, he ended up getting getting me in that race and we had a sprint finish on that one. So that was a good little stadium um hit out that time and I came over in, I think it was 20, just before COVID, 2020, and I hit a High Rocks, um, and that was in Dallas, and I raced Kent and Hunter, and that was my first taste of High Rocks, and like that kind of, that kicked me in the ass, and I think I was about, Hunter won that race, and I was, I think I was a minute 30 behind Kent, um, I was pretty happy with that race, considering, I mean, as you guys know, when you do a High Rocks the first time, it's just, it blows your mind, <laughs> You come over and you think you're prepared. You've you've seen your program and you think you're ready to go, but it just puts you on your ass. And then recently, yeah, so the May the May trip, it was good fun. It was kind of based around the world champs, but I um I had a good I've had a kind of a weird training year. Recently, uh, just just gone. Um, I kind of haven't been training as much, and my volume's been down. And I took the trip on about two weeks' notice. I, I was fit, but I was generalized fit. I wasn't specifically high rocks fit. Um, but it, it came around. It all lined up. My my holiday pay like, worked with the trip. And I just came for four weeks and did high rocks London, high rocks LA, high rocks Vegas, and then a Decca in LA. So it was four weeks, kind of three weeks separating them all. Um, and it was pretty, it was a pretty brutal four weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't walk right for a week after my first high rocks. I couldn't have imagined racing two more and then a Deca. Yeah. I mean, you're pretty sore after that first one. And, um, London, London was tough because I got to London. I, I actually felt amazing going into the race. 
Um, didn't feel jet lagged, but I was kind of running a little bit on fumes. I think three days in London, trying to get acclimatized to it, and then run one. But I had a good race. I was head to head with with Magida going into the Warballs, so we were neck and neck. Had ran, ran a really good race, felt fast, um, and then it all the walls came crashing down in the in the Warballs. So. I, Instead of hitting four minutes, I went eight minutes in those war balls and just mm. – it was the longest eight minutes of my life. But I, I hadn't been doing the endurance I needed and um, I, I knew that. But I kind of – if it was a 50-minute race, I was gold. I just I just died at the end of that. But I, I, it was a good race and, you know, having um, – I think Sandback wasn't too far ahead going into the war balls, Magida there. That was kind of a win for me. And I felt really good in that race. I've never felt – that good in a race like a high rocks you don't feel good la i felt no. absolute ass i um i guess it's a week after the uh after london i've flown to america i've never felt worse in my life and uh still went all right in that race i won that but it was a slow race and then uh vegas vegas was the last high rocks and i was happy with that considering everything um, i think i was ended up being about a minute a minute 30 behind Magida, but um after everything, I was I was I was I was surprised and happy with that based off my. The- well, my first high rocks, I closed in like seven forty one on the wall balls. Oof. <laughs> so I know what a wall ball blow up feels like, and it took me months until I felt like I was able to do it correctly. So for you to turn around and then do it correctly in a week and then another week, that's that's that really speaks to the fitness you brought in and the jet lag you started with more than. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you blowing up on wall balls just because. Well, it was it was interesting because I've, I mean, you know that feeling you get when you're in a race and you just, you want to quit. And you're like, I want to walk off this course. I just want to leave. Like, no one will care. I'm, I'm done. And I, I had that in the wall balls. I, I picked the first wall ball up and coming in, I felt good, picked it up and it felt like a hundred kilo stone. I'd never felt this before. I Every part of me was just dead. Picked it up. Slipped through my hands, picked it up again. I hit two, and then I was just doing. I think I got fifty no reps in that eight minutes thirty, and um, I I think I had like a my life flashed before my eyes, and I've mm-hmm. but it was mentally coming through it and finishing it was the best feeling because after that I've never had a in any workout, especially I've just I feel mentally so strong now because I was just in such a dark place, and you know you, you come overseas and you race and there's so much pressure and you get to that last part and you're doing well and then it all blows up. I just said to myself, I, I, I tried to quit, but I just kept doing the single, single, single. And after that, the next few races, I got better in them, but um, mentally I was just stronger. Mm-hmm. I'd always wondered if High Rocks flip-flopped the first and last stations, how that would change the dynamic of the race. What do you fellas think? Because it's really it's the it's it's the worst station, but it is the most pleasurable of them to put that right before you cross the finish line. I'm always curious how that would go if that was you know 4k in or something. What do you fellas think? Vastly different race or wouldn't change much? I think it would just take the place of the sled mm. because every one of these stations you could crank out if you wanted to. It's just that you have to not because of what it's going to do to you later. So wall balls, you could do it faster earlier, but you're going to die later. Just like the sled. You could do the sled push almost unbroken if you absolutely had to. But you know what's coming. So I don't know. I think it's the same race. I think you just die differently. But either way, you die. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you die either way. Yeah. And I think it's 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 interesting because because in my first high rocks against Kenton Hunter, and I kind of had no business being in that race and and staying with near them because just of my how my training was. But um, I hit the wall balls I think in four fifteen that day in back in twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. and I I wasn't doing wall balls but I was doing Murph training. So I was in my like Murph. I was going for the Murph record and I'd never been that good at um air squats as i was so wall balls for me were just a breeze i i wasn't even practicing them at the time but i i could just air squat all day in a vest so i think this time around my legs weren't in that shape so yeah i think it's it's crazy to see how much your body can be different depending on what goal you're going for or how you're training but i Mm -hmm. my legs didn't feel the same so i've kind of started to change that again and go back to some of my like the murph techniques i was using but be a bit smarter this time and not um not tear a meniscus going for the record i think that hits that hits close to home <laughs> <laughs> i know you, i know you know that pain <laughs> yeah oh and you did yours in competition right i did mine training for i oh, was you did. four yeah i was four weeks out so yeah four weeks out and i just i just tested a, a unbroken sorry an unpartitioned murph in the in the 20 pound vest and um I'd had a, I've got a couple of friends who are CrossFit Games athletes and had them judge me. And I went, I went under Hunter's record. And I, I know it's one of those things to say, oh, I broke the record in training and everyone says it. But I, I, I legitimately did. And I was in the shape to, to break it. And um, four weeks out, tested it. I wasn't meant to go under at that point, but I did. And about five days later, I was doing just an air squat workout in a vest. And I was just checking my form. I was probably 45, uh, 45 degrees to the mirror just to make sure that my depth was spot on, which it, and it was fine. But because of that twisting motion, I'm just going down. And I was doing some sprints on the treddy with it. And I've just gone down and felt the meniscus, felt the knee go, felt like this, mm-hmm. little, this little noise. And I thought, it didn't feel too bad. I kind of shook it off, did a little run, and I – um. Yeah, a couple of days later, it wasn't the best. So I went in, had a had a checkup, and had a tall meniscus. So, um, yeah, it was hard, but I mean that's life. I mean, you get better after every injury. Every injury I've had, I've come back so much stronger. Like structurally, I'll make everything. You'll do all the right things. You'll do the right prehab, and you know your body will get a rest from the other things. And um, yeah, and it depends on what it's from. If it's from mental stress or physical stress, like for me, my injuries have come from from like emotional and mental stress, um, and I can like pinpoint them through things that have happened to me, which is I think people don't think about how hard that mental and emotional stress can be on someone. Um, and I know you boys both definitely would, but all my injuries have come through times of yeah mental and emotional stress, not the training volume. Just had that conversation with an athlete yesterday. The exact same thing. Yeah, I well. couldn't ring more true. Yep. Um, okay. I'm going to slow us down for a second because we got to talk about your Murph World Record attempts. I know you have some things in the works. You're a firefighter. One of the things I really want to talk about with you is your low run volume. 
but yet you're able to perform well? Because me and you actually train, other than the hybrid space, we actually train, or in the past at least, have trained fairly similarly, as far as I understand. So we got to like unbox you a little bit. But I actually, um, yeah. I don't know, uh, I don't know much about you, um, just because you haven't raced over here a whole lot, or at least we haven't gone toe to toe or had a real conversation up to this point. So can you just give us um, a little bit of background on you, as far as uh, like I assume you're an Aussie native. Um, and, and all that, and like how you found the sport and got into sport and all that. Can you just give us like a quick uh, quick background on you? Yeah, for sure. I, I love that question because you look at people training now and you say, okay, he's he's doing this, she's doing that. But it, it's what happened in your, in your childhood years to lead up to it. Um, so I was basically, yeah, I'm Australian, born in Australia. My parents are English, um, Scottish and English. They moved over here when they were... They wanted to find the sun, so um, I'm going to interject right away. Uh, is that so? Is that an Australian accent? Is that an English accent? Is that a mix, or am I just an idiot? Which is very possible. <laughs> it could be both. Well, it could I, be both. I think. Well, I've got. I, I it's Australian, but I've got my <laughs> my mum's. You know, my mum's got that. It says all the British words and the English words, and I think I just say things weirdly. I, my brain doesn't know what I am, so just. Call me whatever you want. I'm a bit of a mixed half cast. <laughs> okay, is there a little bit of English in your accent, or am I just picking up on something that doesn't exist? I don't think so, but I mean, maybe I'm saying a few words weirdly. But um... no, this is speaking out of ignorance on my behalf. I have one Australian. I have one Australian athlete, and I talk to him once a month, and. His accent isn't as rich as yours. That's all. So that's I have one comparative. I'll I'll do whatever accent you you want me to do. <laughs> I'll do. I'll speak. I mean, if you're offering, I'll take Scottish. Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I can't do accents. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have uh, offered that. <laughs> I'll do kangaroo for you. Ooh. I'll just hop around on the, yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> We're waiting. Um, but no. So um, my yeah. So background. I was. I kind of started. I fell into soccer and tennis when I was about probably five or six years old. And then I just loved sports. So I was soccer, tennis every day. And I mean, they're two great sports for just that easy cross training. Soccer, you're running, you know, 5K when you're little. Tennis, you're running 3 to 4K on the court. Um, and then about the age of eight or nine, I fell into cross country at school and track and kind of loved that. So it was cross country every morning, soccer in the afternoons, and then from the age of about probably up to 15, I wanted to be a, like a professional tennis player. So it was tennis once or twice a day up until the age of 15. Um, and that kind of, I kind of had a choice to either kind of start trying to do it properly or let it go. And I let it go because I think I found, um, found girls, found, um, you know, different parts of life and just kind of got burnt out. I, I'd just been playing too much tennis and, um, after that, just it was soccer again, playing soccer at a high level um, and cross-country running and did that right through to the age of probably stopped, stopped cross-country at school and just ran for the love of it. And then soccer finished at about 26, 27, and I'm 35 now. So that's eight years ago, around about the time I got into the fire, fire being a firefighter. And at that point, I... I think I did a trail run and then saw a Spartan race and then kind of just went from soccer to trail running and um, Spartan racing and just just random random racing and and kind of fell in love with it. So you you played soccer all the way through school when that ended 
or you ran and played soccer all the way through school and that ended you dropped the running after school was over and then played like high-end soccer like we had club soccer traveling soccer after after you were done with school is that right so you were staying fit yes i was fit and i i found i started weight training i, st- I found the gym at about 14 and i was i remember the year i was quite little and i didn't train no muscle found the gym came back after summer and everyone was like what have you been doing and i think i put on three or four kilos of muscle and just fell in love with it and um Yes, yeah, so I started started strength training about the age of fourteen, um, so that's been that's been twenty years now. But um, I think soccer and tennis kind of kind of gave me the base fitness. Like I was never a runner, runner. I did cross country, but our cross country isn't like yours. It's not. It's just go out in the morning and run run a four five k's. It's not kind of structured. We don't have good coaches. Um, but the, I think the soccer and the tennis kind of gave me my my um, my fitness early on. You were. Uh... You didn't have races in cross country, or you did? Yeah, so we had races. Um, I've kind of I got to up until high school. I was around that, um, like I'd be third or fourth in the state, and I I went to nationals a few times, but I um I actually never raced there in nationals because I got injured um, my later years. But I was around that kind of state level, which obviously wouldn't be anywhere near your level, um, being a smaller country. I don't know if that's true with it. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, I was, I think I just had that ability to hurt every race. I would just, in the state cross country, I would just run the 5K cross country race and then projectile vomit everywhere. Like I, I just put myself in the worst place. Um, and it's funny because I, I got into cross country. I loved soccer and tennis, but I got into cross country running. And I, I was speaking about this to a friend earlier. Um, I got into cross country running when like my parents got divorced when I was younger and my way of coping with it was just going out and training and running. So I'd go out in the mornings and just go and run 5k when I was like seven years old. So I almost used it as a way of escaping from what was happening. Um, so I, I, that was the way I was dealing with it. And even moving through all my years, I've, I've used training as a tool to sometimes escape what's been happening and, up until a couple of years ago, I didn't know that. And I, I, I went through a lot of changes and, and was able to change that. And instead of using training and running to escape from something bad, I, I then found people and talking and, and processing it. So now if I have something wrong, I'll pick the phone up. That's the first thing I do. And um, it was funny enough when I, when I tore my meniscus, I went through this process. I was going through, through a, um, a relationship breakup, a marriage breakup and, tore my meniscus as we were breaking up and I had to sit on the couch and I couldn't do anything. So I'd pick the phone up, I'd call mum and then I'd just be calling people, you know, for hours in the day and right. And now it's, that's all I use. So I love the running side of it, but I never use it to deal with any problems now. And um, yeah, I, I just, it was the lucky, the lucky tore meniscus that kind of got me there, which is weird to say. Have you ever said that sentence, Bracken, the lucky torn meniscus? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe I didn't learn my lessons well enough, but I, I didn't take a whole lot of positives out of mine. Um, that, that's one thing I kind of have always used, um, especially, have you ever read the book uh, The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday? Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty cool book. It's just basically a page a day and it's, it's meditations and um, writing from like Marcus Aurelius, Epic, um, 
Seneca and Epictetus. And each day you read a page and it's something about basically not letting the world um, impact your feelings. Like you, you can only control your thoughts and your emotions. So everything else doesn't have an impact on you. And one of the things they have in there, it's called a, it's called like a reverse clause. So everything that happens to you, um, whatever happens to you in the day, let's say you're doing a uni assignment and it all gets deleted. It's the night before you've worked hard on it. Instead of kind of getting angry and frustrated, you use this reverse clause notion and it's like, I get to now redo it and do it better. Um, and that's kind of a strong theme through that book, which you read a page day and it sounds weird, but um, once you can start actually implementing that in your life, like you start to look at, you know, breakups and meniscus, tearing your meniscus and things like that as positives. Um, I think it makes you a pretty, pretty strong and powerful person when you can do that. Brecken, I know, I think I know your answer to this, but so I'll straight up tell you that I, I'm decent about talking about my feelings mostly because uh, I was forced to for a reality TV stint. However, uh, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, calling people on the phone or asking for help in any situation. But I 1,000% still use running as therapy, without question, almost daily. It is part of my, my processing. Um, don't You can't tell me. Now, Bracken, I feel like you got a pretty like separate relationship with running, right? Like you run, like, irregardless, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I I don't use sports for coping. I totally do. It's it's but I don't use people for it either. <laughs> like I'm I'm the classic you'll have a tumor someday cuz you keep your emotions inside type of person. That's <laughs> I it, it, that was one of our toughest parts of our marriage was uh me opening up how I'm feeling rather than just stewing on it and stewing on it and let it boil over. I don't reach out for help. I rarely ask for help. Um, but I also don't use running for it. So I guess I don't know what I use to cope. Maybe I don't cope. Well, maybe I don't cope. That's impossible. There's I, I think I think I think you're coping pretty well. It, everyone's different though, and it depends how you're brought up. And maybe I'm a psychopath. <laughs> that I know for that sure. That makes sense. <laughs> There's a lot of pets going missing in my neighborhood. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's not. Let's not dive into that further. Uh, so my question is then, if you were – okay, so be, as somebody who – I think I, I channel both. I talk to people and I, I exercise for therapy for sure. Um, and I have no problems admitting that, right? So are you saying you like now completely have gone the other way or does, does exercise and training still provide some therapy for – Mr. Christopher Woolley. Oh, it's still, it's, it still provides the therapy. You still get out, you know, you go for that hard interval run or session and the endorphins are flowing at, um, a hundred percent. It's still one of the best feelings you can ever have when you, when you love your training. Uh, but I'm just good at using both now. I don't just a hundred percent use it to block everything out, come back from the run. Oh, everything's good now. I forgot about what happened. Um, but it's a hard process to go down because, you know, I did, did it for 30 years and then started to change and, couldn't realize how good it was going to feel to be able to do it but it's it's definitely hard to open up and, and talk and be vulnerable but once you start doing it, it, it yeah it feels pretty good so i want to ask one follow-up question to something and then i want to get into this whole injury associated with like life stress and emotional stress situation but i have a personal curiosity about the australian school system so if you were a state level runner in high school um were you not recruited to like to go to like university or college? Is that system not work the same way? Because if you were like even in the realm of potentially going to like a national meet, 
Like you're getting le- a letter a day from colleges. Does that not happen over there? Or does it? Yes, that's that's the thing. It, we, it doesn't happen here. I feel like, I mean, it might now. We're going back 20 years, but it didn't back then. You know, you'd just run your race and they didn't they didn't look at that. I think the system's pretty different. They don't invest the time and money that, that they do over there. So yeah, you just you just be a good runner, and that and that was it. It was they didn't they didn't really have that back then, but today I they might they might be taking it more seriously. Mm. That's tough. Yeah. So hard stop after high school. Like not many universities have running programs, or at least a cross country program that you know of, or or if so, there's not really not like nothing nothing like nothing like you do now. It's it's changing, and they are starting to get into it more. But back then they didn't they didn't have as much no. They have a decent club athletic system down there, but if you look at their top runners, they come to the US. Yeah. You know, Wisconsin has a decent pipeline. We had Morgan McDonald and uh Kerr. Of course I'm gonna blank on all these other runners. No, that's Britain. No, isn't he he's a, is Kerr Australian? He's Scottish, I believe, or Great Britain, but he ran at Ole Miss. Um who else do we have? There's more, for sure there's more. Uh, Jessica Hull, I believe, ran at Oregon. Um, anyway, the, the, the top Aussies always come over to our university system on scholarship and just wreck shop on us. Hmm. Yeah, they all come over. There's not, there's not much going over here. I, I went to university and did business and there was, I didn't even get, I didn't see anything about running at my, at my place. So, well, yeah. I'll tell you what, I ran 1648 at the state cross country meet. We run a 5k. I ran 431 in the mile and 158 in the 800. Not bad, but not good. I bet you I got 80 recruitment letters to go to college, at least, in multiple college, off of times like that. Not very impressive. Yeah, well, so I imagine that one happened in your neck of the woods. No, it's, it's just, they just don't have to, it's just, it's just in there. It's just not set up for it. So it's it's disappointing because I love I love the way your, your the USA does that. But yeah, they just they just don't have it here. Ali hmm. Hoare, another guy, Wisconsin had, and he's running professionally now, isn't he? Yeah, from down your way, I believe. What? Why? Why do you think they come to Wisconsin? You're asking me because I don't know, but I don't mind because Morgan McDonald was a national champ. So, what is it? What is it, Chris? Why do they come to Wisconsin? If you even know where that is, <laughs> I don't. I, I, I've never been, and I don't even know where it is. So I don't want to uh, say something I'm, I'm uh, not educated on, but I don't know. Maybe because you're you're, you're close by, and there's less killer kangaroos around. Maybe that's why we're so good at running. We've got to outrun the kangaroos and the dingoes. Oh yeah, the dingoes. Yeah. <laughs> At least we don't have bears. That's true. true. You got done with high school. There is no college running waiting or soccer or soccer. You did club. There's no tennis waiting. What did you do? What would what, you do transitioning out of secondary school? So I was, it was fun. I was kind of just always doing hybrid training. Even back when I was probably started when I was 15, like I'd lift weights probably five days a week. Um, and I'd probably do a traditional, I was kind of learning and training and following, you know, the methods of Poliquin and um, I was loving it. And I actually became a personal mm-hmm. trainer when I was um, early 20s. So I've been a personal trainer for a PT for probably almost 15 years now. I don't practice at the moment because I'm a firefighter and, and doing other things. But I fell in love with like the science of training and the why and the how and 
just kind of read every book I could on, you know, Poliquin and energy system work and and how to be a stronger athlete and kind of used hybrid, a hybrid training approach from the age of 15, 16, weights, weights and strength and then lots of conditioning through tennis and soccer and um, not as much straight running. You know, I've never been done a lot of straight running training. It's all been through um, kind of a lot of cross training and a lot of, um, yeah, hybrid training. What was the question? Sorry. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to know what bridged the gap between secondary and post. What what you had what you had done there, since there wasn't collegiate sports waiting. Even though you were a talented individual, what you had moved into, what lit that competitive fire after high school, or if it went out for a bit. Uh, I think it was always there, but I was just. I just love training. So I would just, it's easy. I think it's easy to be a good athlete when you actually love training. You know, you love, you love the pain of those sessions. You love just creating that. I've always done my own program, writing the new programs, testing them out, um, learning, you know, hurting. And if you love it, it's just easy. It just comes second nature. Um, and I, I just basically, I was just training. I was just doing a huge, massive, big base phase, you know, until, until 25 came around and you played soccer four days a week. So you're probably still running, you know, 40 kilometers a week just through soccer. Then you throw a couple of runs on, you may be running 50 kilometers a week, um, but no real direct running training and then lots of strength training on the side. And then as soon as I saw a race, one of, you know, the hybrid style Spartan races, urban races, did one of those and kind of fell in love with it. I will speak to the soccer bit, and I believe soccer is probably bigger in Australia than here. Am I not? Mis- am I mistaken there, or is it bigger in Australia than in the states? Yeah, bigger. I'd say, yeah, bigger here. As soon as I got done with college and got my health back and all that, I started playing um, like adult, very competitive league soccer, where it was all post collegiate athletes who were no good, not good enough to go pro or anything, and some did play part time pro or for indoor teams, which were like lower level. But point being is that. Post-collegiately here, and and this is coming from a country that soccer isn't as popular as yours, like we had two games a week, we had practices two or three nights a week, there were tournaments on the weekends we were entering, and these athletes were like training almost like professional athletes at times. And it was that exact same thing. It was like guys hit the weight room because they wanted to look good and they went for a couple runs a week and they trained soccer four or five days a week, including games and tournaments. Like you can turn out some monsters there and that's just here. Like with the level of like high level soccer players after they, they don't get to play, you know, once college is done. So I have to imagine what I'm getting at is like, you're actually training like an athlete during this time. Like, I don't want people to like misunderstand. Like you were very much training as an athlete, weren't you? Yeah. And back then our system for football and soccer, it wasn't what it is now. So like when I was 15, 16, I was playing in that, in the higher level, rep level that filtered into some of the really good teams. Um, but I, I didn't stick with it um, directly. I wanted to do everything. So after that, I didn't, I wasn't playing any, any crazy good level, but I had the potential. I just came back a, a, a league or two and then just loved it. And was just, I was just a really good runner. So the fitness kind of got me through all my, all my soccer, but yeah, it doesn't – you're still training very hard, as you said, you know, one or two games a week, three three trainings, um, you're playing tennis on the side, and you're doing all your strength sessions. So I've probably always had that big – it's almost like GPP, like that big general physical preparedness since I was 15 where the strength came in and 
you know, it's always been low mileage, but if you look back to the age of five, it's, it was tennis and soccer. So you're still putting, you know, 20, 30 K on your week, every on your legs every week from the age of five. So it's just that constant loading, just not those big, huge, you know, 100 K running weeks that runners use. Kirk, did you catch Josiah Middaw's post this week on Instagram about sports sampling? I did not. Chris, I'm not sure if you're aware who Josiah is. He's a yes. kind of a endurance legend over here, but he he did a ton of Xterra racing. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him in the, a few of the Spartan races lately, and he's a yeah, he looks pretty badass. Yeah, and he's in his 40s now. So just imagine him a decade ago. Yeah, wow. Well. <laughs> but he he posted screenshots of some of his thesis when he was getting his masters. I believe his masters. And it was about sport sampling versus the accepted master one sport for 10,000 hours. And his thesis was based around the premise of you can either go and get your 10,000 hours in one realm or you can accrue it through sport sampling. Playing three, four different sports, going from season to season, getting your hours as non-specific hours but well-rounded preparedness equates to single track preparedness over time. And I'm really, really just doing broad strokes there. But that idea of sports sampling is what Kirk did growing up, what I did growing up. I didn't commit to a, a single sport until my third year of university. You know, and it sounds like you didn't commit to a single sport ever, but if you did, it was at 27 or 25, something like that. So it's an, it's just interesting that we I see this twice in a week now come up from people that I respect that sports sampling seems to be a pretty powerful way of getting it done. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And I've read a lot about the 10,000-hour rule, and I hadn't heard it in, a, in that way you just put it then. And I think it's 100% true because, I mean, just like yourself, Kirk, I'm like the last 12 months for me, I've been running 30 kilometers a week, you know, 25, 30 kilometers a week. It's not really running and um i think it just comes back from everything you've done and just all those different avenues and being able to pull it all together and you just get really well rounded and build that really big aerobic base and it kind of it sets you up for for some of the racing that we're doing now mm -hmm. body of work paying off i'm trying to think of because we see this translate this transition from soccer to endurance athletics so often and i'm trying to think of another sport like that in, that that Output isn't the main objective that still puts out really great endurance athletes because that gets rid of mountain biking or road biking. It gets rid of cross-country skiers. It gets rid of rowers because output is all that matters. And, of course, they're naturally going to transition to being, let's say, a runner because of their aerobic development. But soccer isn't one of those where your output is what matters. There's a lot of other factors there. And I'm trying to think if there's any other sport hmm. that isn't output-based that would make better endurance athletes and i can't think of one i'd say i reckon tennis tennis helped me a lot because oh, okay i don't know if, i don't know if you've played much tennis but if you're playing if you're playing for two hours and it's just it's just explosive so you might explosively sprint for for 10 to 30 seconds some rallies might go for two minutes and you can cover 10 kilometers on a court back and forth and it's just that that fast explosive power endurance um, I think that the combination of tennis and soccer for me, like I was always really strong at the beep test. I don't know. Have you done the beep test before? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love the beep test. The beep test is my favorite, favorite, um, favorite, you know, training session. And 
I would run against runners who were, you know, well out of my league, but just towel them up in the beep test because my body was just made to do it after, you know, from the age of five, just playing tennis and soccer every day and that fast sprinting back and forth with the rest. Um, what was your What was your best beep test? Uh, I think we maxed it out, whatever that was, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it changed. I think Is it, it changes because like, it's different. It go. They say it goes. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's different because I think the normal beep test it goes up to level. They say it goes to level twenty one, and um, I don't. Oh, do you I have that? Know. How it goes level? So level one to each level it gets faster. So right. For example, at level seven there's eight beeps on the level, and it's a certain certain time to get between the two. Then level eight it might be eight beeps. Level nine, nine, and it goes all the way up to level twenty one. And they say that, you know, I think I think they say David Beckham finished it, which I think is a load of a load of crap because <laughs> I don't I don't think it's po- possible to finish this test. But we would always get to around I think I think we got to around nineteen. And it's if you look at if you actually look up the beep test and it's twenty meters apart and you look at the time, it's pretty much a straight out sprint. But um, yeah, I think I think a beep test is a pretty good pretty good indicator for that hybrid fitness. You know, looking back, maybe we maxed out our available time. Yeah. Maybe just it was the end of the time, the, the the class period, or or of of the yeah. training session. Yeah. But yeah, I I assume that we weren't world class in that regard. That's interesting, though. That everyone in this sport that I've talked to about the beep test speaks fondly of it, and everyone else hates it. <laughs> There's something about stop start that means maybe that's the indicator of hybrid athlete that test well i don't know about you but i mean you're better you two are much better runners than me but if i think currently but um i if i if i was to go for say a 15k time trial it just kind of i don't like it but if it's 15k with 25 burpees every kilometer i'm in happy i'm in my happy place um you know like the burp 400 or the the running public (laughs) um what was it called again the burpee 10k burpee 10k i want to did you do did you you did the burpee 10k didn't you i was fourth yeah in that one um i think i was fourth behind last 48 minutes or something but it's funny i mean i've, I've listened to a few of you it's a quick time by the way it was i i i, I enjoyed it. it it hurt but i've enjoyed a, i've listened to a few of your podcasts lately about shoes and super shoes and it's funny because i've i mean i'm, I'm on the vj team over here um vj sport mm-hmm team and i literally have been running all my because i'm getting i'm getting shoes through them they're sponsoring me i've been doing all my running in vj ultras and maxes and i did the burpee 10k in the in the ultras in the vj ultras and it just i mean i was i've just always done it and now i've started to change shoes and i actually got a pair of um new balance fuel cell tcs have you seen those Mm-hmm. So it's like the carbon carbon shoe, and I got it, and it's so it, it rang true the the last week when you were talking about Albin and doing some of the training in the super shoes, not to get a better time. I've always been, I've I've and I know uh, Bracken, you're a, a shoe, you've got a you've got a, a fetish for shoes, and I've seen it, and I I, I like it, but um, <laughs> I mean I don't have a fetish I don't have a fetish for shoes, other things, <laughs> maybe dressing up like unicorns, but um. <laughs> when you were talking about the shoe and using it to minimize damage. And I, I won this uh, Red Bull Strava event and uh, oh, I, got, I, I got third place actually, but 
Um, it was a month of running as much vert as you could run in a month um, for Red Bull and Strava. And you could use hills, staircases, whatever you whatever you needed. We, we should come back and talk about that because it was a pretty cool – I had some pretty cool takeaways for training and, and fitness after it. But um, I won a voucher, got this, the New Balance shoes, got the, the Fuel Cell TCs. And I now love – my favorite training session now is going out for a, a 10K tempo or a 40-minute tempo um, and the body just feels amazing in them. It's just like I'm gliding, the legs, the calves just feel mm-hmm. insane. And I hadn't felt that in, in 30, 25 years of running. I've just been running in these, you know, trail shoes, um, that maybe don't give you that return. And that's the missing link in my training has been those longer tempo runs, the longer threshold, um, I just haven't had them. Like I can, I can cheat my way through a workout in ten four hundreds and run a time that I shouldn't be running. That doesn't reflect my five k. But now I'm starting to bridge the gap and put those longer tempos and those longer uh, threshold runs in, and I'm starting to see some big improvements that I've just never, never had them there. That is a beautiful summary of the the ball sport athlete's dilemma as a runner is that you can cheat an interval workout and think that you're getting more out of it than you are. You look at those online pace calculators, yeah. <laughs> and your mile time trial equates to being able to run a sub-16 minute 5K or you know whatever it says. It doesn't take into account your sport background. And that was a big turning point in my running. I took a minute off my 5K when I started incorporating threshold work into my training because I realized I can crush as many interval sessions as I want. (laughs) It doesn't hold water 10 minutes into a race. No, 100%. And I've always known it because I've always been big into heart rate training and and looking at all, you know, how the marathon runners train. But for some reason, I was just not going near those longer tempos and those those longer – those runs at like 85% of heart rate. Um, I was doing a lot of threshold work, but almost just just missing the longer stuff. And now that I'm adding them in, this is the first proper block I'm using them. Um, I'm keen to see what see what's going to happen from it. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be uh, if, if this really is a true first threshold block. Um, I think I think good things are coming your way, brother. That's You're not going to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. I get this sometimes when I re-listen to an episode when I edit it. And I, I get this, oh my goodness, I should just do this because the, everyone explains it so well. And it's so compelling when you look at the, the results they have and they say, and this is what I did to get there. You think, oh, that's it. That's the secret. And I always have to remind myself, like forcefully shake my head away from it and say, just remember, they're a long distance, slow twitch athlete. You will not respond the same way as they will. Or remember, they're a fast twitch athlete. You're slow twitch athletes. You can't write them a training plan like that because it won't be the same way. And it's really difficult to separate the the good info from the good info that is applicable to your place athletically. And I feel like I fought that for my entire athletic career is looking at who was successful and not looking at who was successful and has my characteristics. A hundred, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's a hundred percent. I mean, it's it's all about the athlete you are, and everyone is so different. Have you ever have you ever heard of that the concept for the rate of speed drop off? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pace decay. 
Yeah, and it looks at like your 400 meter time and your mile time um, and looks at how much that rate of speed drop off is. Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I remember playing around with that and looking at it and they look at professional marathon runners and their rate of speed drop off, I think, is six about 6%. Um, and it's basically, yeah, you run a 400 meter, say you run a 60 second and then you run a six minute mile, your rate of speed drop off is... 22% and you try and bring it down and obviously the higher the number is the more you need to work on that longer aerobic work um, and I remember looking at this and playing around with it and I had like I think I had a I had a 400 meter time of 51 seconds but my mile was 440 and I was looking at it and playing around with it and it just kind of hit the nail on the head for me and just I just it basically said I need to do less interval work and, and more of the longer stuff um, and that's that's right. Everyone is so different. You can't just do what the other person is doing. You need to find out, you know, what works for your body type and your weaknesses. Like where are you weak at? And yeah, you're spot on with that. Well, giving some numbers to this, I saw a workout. Are you familiar with who Cooper Tier is, Chris? He's an American distance runner. Um, Cooper Tier. I've heard heard the name, but I don't know him. Well, he's just out of college. He won the U.S. Uh, champs in the 1500 meters. Great 5K runner. Anyways. One month before his first race of the track season, they post videos on YouTube following their training. And Cooper Tier, who's going to get ready to run the 1500 in a month, his first quality session goes out and runs what? A tempo run, right? And what does he do in his tempo run? He goes 520, 517, 505, 5 flat. I believe I can run that right now. The point being is that he went out and, I, and he'd, he'd lap me twice in a 5K, maybe more. The point I'm getting at is that, like, even a guy like him, who his strength already is that, is going out and running, like, these threshold and tempo runs much slower than race pace, yet that's prescribed to him as close as a month out from his first race. If there's not power in that, like, some people would be like, God, he's a month out from his first 15. Why is he not ripping quarters on the track? Why is that guy not hitting 200-meter repeats? Nope. Four mile tempo run, how flashy, huh? Best in the best in the U.S. Basically, I just think there's a lot of power to that. And I saw those numbers, I was unimpressed. I saw the workout choice, I was unimpressed. And then I stepped back and I was like, Why am I unimpressed with this? This is called periodized training, and this is called prioritizing the the engine and your and your lactate threshold. So I just thought that was a sidebar to your um, revelation here with tempo work. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I have I have done a lot of threshold work in the past and, um, you know, I've had a VO2 test done and I know what my lactate threshold is and I've, I've, I've used the 30-minute run test to know, you know, my lactate threshold sits around 174 and done, you know, intervals above and below it. But I was just – I've – I've always missed that those longer tempos and the longer, you know, mm. 40 to 60 minute efforts, which isn't at threshold. I'm not going to run 60 minutes at threshold. And I've always done my, you know, I've done three by 10 minutes at, at lactate threshold and I'm really good there, but missing out on those longer, you know, three by 20 or 10 kilometer or cut down tempo at a bit smaller, at probably, you know, for me, 165 to 170 heart rate. I've just always neglected them. And probably because I don't like going and running hard, and flat for 15k but now i've got these new uh new balance shoes i'm doing it weekly i'm alternating between a a longer 10 to 15k tempo run and then the other week i'm doing a, a biker session with grounder shoulders at tempo heart rate into a four five k compromised tempo run and that's i think that's going to you know be a big 
big factor for my for my success going on. Because you know what you can't do is you can't fake that type of workout. No. You just can't. The, the problem with intervals is that you can start fast and coast in. Or start fast, coast the middle, finish fast. And the time doesn't show what the effort took. You can't fake 10K steady. You just can't. There's no, no. way around that. No. Yeah, you spot on. So let's talk about your... um. Your low mileage, high volume type training. Um, now, not that I compare you to. Actually, yes, because to, because I compare you to very much so. Like similar vibes, similar look is Sir Ryan Kent. I'm sure you've gotten that a million times. You're probably sick of hearing it. I, I have to imagine. But he's also been known to be like a high volume, low mileage guy. And some of his best races have been when he hasn't been running a ton, but doing a lot of uh, cross training and compromised work. And I would say that you're, I mean, saying you've been running 30K a week, um, on paper, you're very much outperforming your run mileage. So let's talk about it, man. Like how, how do you, when you're looking at this one, why do you run lower? Why have you run lower mileage in the past? Uh, like what's your thought process there? And then two, like, how do you approach it when you're looking at putting all the puzzle pieces together? I want to talk about that specifically with you. Like, um, what are your, what's your philosophy there? So, I mean, I think it's just because I never was doing a lot of run training back in the day. So I'm just going off what I know. I was doing a lot of cross training, a lot of, you know, a lot of board paddling at the beach, a lot of uh, bike riding, a lot of, um, I was just used to that cross training. I was never put into that high mileage running mindset. So I'm doing just what's natural to me. Um, so I'd always kind of go back and, and do that. And then you look at the whole concept of, you know, minimum effective dose, um, and I've kind of been relying on on doing the minimum effective dose. And a couple of times where I tried to increase the mileage from, you know, 30, 40 kilometers a week, let's go up to 60, 70 slowly. And so a few times I'd, you know, maybe run into some planter. Um, and I think it's my body doesn't like to go up high, higher than 60, 70 kilometers a week. It's just where I'm, where I'm used to and what my body's been good at. So I've just always gravitated back to it. Um, now saying that, I think I am going to try and increase a bit now and go up to, instead of sitting at, like I looked at my Strava and for the last 12 months and you can go back further, it's pretty similar. I was, I was, I think I was averaging 28 kilometers a week running, um, which is, which is nothing, but I was averaging five hours cross training, um, which still for me in a year is only seven at seven hours of endurance a week. It's not much. I was normally probably sitting around uh eight to eight to 13 hours lots of mountain biking and, and ergs um but the last year for me I, I backed off the training went through a bunch bunch of life you know had a marriage breakup and just wanted to enjoy training and take the pressure off and and kind of find myself again and not crush myself with a year of training while i you know rediscover myself and i'm glad i did that but now looking forward and coming back i'm I'm going to bump that mileage up probably to 40, 50 kilometers a week. I think if I sit around 50 and then layer on more endurance and get back to those higher volumes of 10 to 15 hours, um, I'll be in a good spot. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of falling back on what's good for me and how I do it. Um, I do a lot of – I just do a, do a lot of low-impact sled work and, and stair training, um, a lot of mountain biking, ski erging, and – I do some. I do a bit of quality running, 
so I'll do some some VO2 uh, VO2 work on a Monday, and I'll do some some threshold and tempo work on a on a Wednesday or Thursday, and then a, a lot of everything else is just high volume cross training. So it's your ski ergs, your rowing, um, you know, two three hour mountain bikes in the in the in the mountains, and I've got a ski erg at home, so that's you know I'll, I'll jump on the ski erg and just do an hour steady at zone two, you know, sixty five percent heart rate. Uh, obviously, I built up over a while to be able to hit sixty to ninety minutes ski erg, but again, I fell in love with the ski erg when I when I did the meniscus recently, and um, I I pretty much put all my running work on the ski erg, and I it took my upper body pulling endurance through the roof. Like I'd never, it took my like I PR'd every pull up, every strength pulling uh, movement just from doing ten weeks of ski erg. Um, mostly low heart rate and then building into threshold and, and VO2 work on that. So it's just, it's just being smart and having low impact, um, low risk, low risk um, modalities. And a big one for me was, was stairs. Um, I think I mentioned before the, that Red Bull Strava challenge. So we had, I tore my meniscus um, a year ago came back, did some ski erg for four weeks, and then this, so I'm four weeks post uh, meniscus um, operation, and this Red Bull Striver Challenge comes up, and it's it's 60, it's 30 days, 28 days, yeah, 28 days, sorry, and max elevation over the month, and you can use anything outside, so you got to use Strava, you can use hills, you can use stairs, and I ended up coming third in that. I went against two ultra endurance guys. One of the guys ran 500 kilometer um, endurance races and had a weekly volume of 250 kilometers for the last 12 months. And I went into this and I, I was, yeah, he was a beast. He just goes out and does hundred kilometer walk hikes every weekend. So he was, he was made for it. That's what he was just long and slow. So I went out in this challenge. I was four weeks post meniscus and I was like, I'm going to try and use the stairs and see how I go. So I went out. He, I started by doing 500 meters of elevation on a staircase, just up and down. So nice and easy. Body felt good. And I just progressively overloaded for the 28 days and ended up on the last four days doing 4,000, 5,000, 5,000, and then 7,200 meters elevation on a single staircase in – in the last four days. What, and I, why don't we stop you right there and translate? That's meters, folks, not not feet. I don't know if you can convert that, but multiply it by three and you got feet, basically, a little more than that. Three. So, so let's go. So the last four days, yeah, we'll go 12,000, 15,000, 15,000, and then almost an Everest on the last day, so 22,000 feet. Wow. And I was doing this on a, on a staircase with 30 feet of gain. <laughs> Wait, that's a Derek Rubis moment right there in its own right <laughs> oh that's so good there was two staircases actually one staircase near my house had 90 feet again and the other staircase had 30 feet and <laughs> I started I the reason I did this was two one I started really slow and and built up over the month to see if my knee could handle it and it did because it was all stairs. There was no impact on the Achilles and the calves and the feet of a hill. And then uh, I think a week out, I was about, I was 30,000 feet behind the top two guys. So I just had to, these guys were putting in, you know, 2,000, 
2,000 meters a day, every day. Some days three, some days one. And um, the last four days, I just had a run at it, had had a couple of days off work. And I'd have mates just on the staircase with me. And um, the last day, I was 13 hours on a staircase. And I finished it, and I didn't have a single niggle. I was just – the body was fine, and I had a crazy – a crazy fitness boost that I'd never felt before. So after that, after that month, I took a week off and I hadn't run flat in, I hadn't run a flat or fast. I'd just been doing hiking on a staircase for, for a month and I'd torn the meniscus. So it'd been three months since running flat. And I think I almost went and I ran, I think I went around a 1630 5k and I had this new gear that I'd never had before. It was like, I was just sitting at that 95% heart rate and just, I, could, I can't explain it to this day. I mean, I can, and I know why, but little things like that, you know, the meniscus made me do that stair challenge, made me use the ski erg. And now when I go back and do our next big race, I'm going to use a big, I'm going to use a block like that. I'm not going to spend 13 hours on a staircase, but just methods like that that can make you a, a very good athlete and just really increase that aerobic base without putting the load on the body. How were you getting down those stairs? I was just kind of coming. I was just cruising down. I wasn't running hard. I was just almost walking down it. So for, the, for you know, let's say I think I end up getting 60,000 meters in that month of, of gain. So that's 190,000 feet, 180 to 190,000 feet. And and I was I had nothing wrong with me. I, I've never felt, yeah, it was just incredible. And the last three days was probably the last four days was 10 hours a day on a staircase. So you're putting 40 hours on in four days on the body. But I was, um, yeah, I, I was just cruising down nice and easy. Sometimes I, throughout the month I put in about maybe, I think I had 15 minutes of intensity work. So I did a couple stair sprints towards the end, um, a couple, you know, 10 to 20 second stair sprints for 15 minutes total. And I'd never felt that fitness gain that I got. So it was, it was pretty powerful. And, um, I think going forward, I'll use something like that again in the, in the form of stairs and, and mountain biking. But yeah, it was crazy. I, I want to do a whole episode. I want to dissect it right now too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I, that's just everything else aside. When you started this, what was the longest workout you had ever done? So, so my workouts normally wouldn't weren't really going over sixty to ninety minutes, and maybe I might do a two a two, a two and a half hour mountain bike, let's say, just cruisy two and a half hour mountain bike. Um, I'd done I'd done a twenty four hour race before in teams, but I'd never really done anything over that two two and a half hour mountain bike. I think. And how many days did it take until you were your body just said, "Yeah, I can do multiple hours back to back to back to back to back." Um, I mean, I, I, so day one was, was 50 minutes on a staircase and felt, felt good. And I've got a, I think my, my, I do a lot of sled work, a lot of sled pushing and pulling all from, you know, West side barbell. I've, I've, I use a lot of their work. Um, but it was almost the case of, it's like when you see someone go for an ultra record or they're going to try and run from the East to West coast of America. And they build a good block and they build a do a good resiliency block and build their GPP, but they actually train for that event in the first month of the of the event. So I think the first week or ten days was almost training my body to get ready for the stairs. And then after a week I was pretty tired. 
my seat. Like I was pretty, I was just drained. And then I just hit this, I just hit a new step and at the 10 day mark, it just kind of, it all went uphill and I was fine. And I just kept building and building. And I was, I was doing, you know, a thousand meters gain in the morning and then sometimes 1500, 2000 in the evenings, um, which is two hours in the morning and then two to four hours in the evening some days. And I was feeling great. I was just listening to podcasts, calling mates. My mates got sick of me though because they're like, "I've never, you've never, you've never spoken to me this much. Stop calling me three times a day." But <laughs> I had to because I was just getting bored. <laughs> All this for a pair of shoes—that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. To anyone listening, this is why you don't win Strava contests because there's some psycho out there <laughs> who decides to do. 13 hours of stair work just to finish off this free pair of shoes competition. <laughs> but you know what though? What, uh, it wasn't about the shoes. It was just, I was coming off that meniscus and I was also coming out of a marriage breakup. So I was, it was partly, you know, I was going through all these new stages of life. I, I, as I was saying, I, I found that ability to talk to people and, and, and actually um, if I confuse you for a bit, I've torn both meniscuses. So, one was three years ago and one was a year ago. So the, the one I'm referring to now is the, the one a year ago. That's the way to do it. Chris, do you know if it's meniscuses or menisces or menisci? We have this debate on the the podcast once in a while. Do you know? Uh, I, don't, I don't actually know. Let's say menisci, meniscus. I, I don't, we, should, we should look it up, though. I should okay. know. By I didn't both. know if you knew it. All right. <laughs> sorry to interrupt. Continue. No, I don't. Sorry. No, that, that's all right. And, um, yeah, so it just, I, you know, I was, I was just, I was on a, a weird path. There, there was days where I was, you know, going through a marriage breakup. There was days where I was, you know, falling in love with just using, you know, talking to people and, and, and opening up because it was so hard normally. So I was, yeah, it was just a weird time in my life. And, but it was great because I had mates come and doing stairs with me. I, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy, but I just couldn't believe that, the body wasn't it was the body wasn't taking any damage it was just this really low impact most of the month i was zone two i was 120 heart rate so you're not getting a lot of stress in the body but you're just building that huge base and if you look at i can i'll send you some uh i'll go back over it all and if you go to my strava last october you'll you'll go in and see all these sessions you'll see the last day where i've had 2000 meters in the morning and then i hit uh, a thousand, then I hit four thousand after that, um, and I ended up finishing this thing at the. Um, the ending was pretty. It didn't bother me, which is a weird thing, but I ended up coming. So the top two got a prize to go and run with a professional trail runner in the outback of Australia. So top two got this prize. His name's um, Courtney Atkinson. He's a Salomon athlete in Australia. Really good athlete adventure racer doesn't do hybrid endurance he's doesn't have a, a strong body but he's a great endurance athlete and the, the top two got a prize with them to go run in the outback for three days this amazing red bull salomon running adventure and it came down to the wire so the last day we worked out i needed about anywhere from we thought seven thousand meters in the last day would get me there so I'm, I start the day off and it's just, I was pretty tired at this stage and seven hours is probably going to take me 13 hours, 7,000 meters, sorry, was going to take me 13 hours and it got to 11, 11 o'clock at night and they just uploaded all their elements 
and we worked out I needed about a thousand meters in the last 50 minutes and I just couldn't do it. I just, I was just done. So I en- ended up just cruising in and I was having at this stage. So I've never used this before, but you know, when you, you hear about ultra endurance athletes and they, they drink beers and they, some of them might microdose or use psychedelics and those, and those kind of things. <laughs> um, I actually at 9 PM, I at 9 PM at night had a, my mates were there, had eskies. It was, I was, I think I was about five and a half thousand meters down and, um, I needed about 1500 more and I was pretty done. I was just over it and I had a Guinness. So Guinness is my beer for some reason. I can, I just love them. So I had a Guinness and I had a really small, uh, weed gummy and, um, basically from nine to 12, I was completely, completely fine, but I just had this new ability to run and ended up getting 2000 meters in the last three hours and ended up, I ended up finishing. Yeah. I was about 600 meters short of getting that second position. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I learned a lot about myself, but I think I just found out that, um, if I'm going to do something, I'm just going to keep going. You know what we always say, Bracken, it's the, uh, it's the non-sexy work that moves the needle. And I have not heard any less sexy work than that, Chris. That is a hustle, man. Like a 30-foot or a 90-foot staircase is not sexy for 13 hours. Yet you go out and run 1630 in a 5K with no run efficiency, by the way, because you haven't run on flat terrain in three months. Um, It just speaks to the power of exactly exactly what we preach on our, our podcast. I have... Okay, two specific questions about that then. One, you mentioned you were keeping your heart rate zone too. Like you were actively kind of just, it was usually in the 120s. Am I understanding that correct? Yeah, pretty much that in the 120s okay. the whole time. Okay, with a few harder sessions, a few, very few hard sessions in there where you got the heart rate to spike on some yeah. sprints. And then the other question, which I know people are going to ask, is what? how were you going up the stairs? Were you jogging up them one at a time? Were you power stepping two or three at a time? Were you mixing it up? Like, what was the, what's this cadence, the secret cadence to this? So most of it, and I started off just a power hike. Um, sometimes, you know, when you power hike, push off your legs to put a bit of upper body in there. Um, occasionally, probably 5% of the total reps there was a stair rail and sometimes I'd sometimes use that, but not really. So I was mostly power hiking to double or triple stepping. So it was very posterior dominant, lots of, lots of um, glutes, lots of hamstrings and quads. And then as the knee started to feel good and, and recover over the 10 days, first 10 days, I would add in a bit of running, a little bit of light running just to start getting the calves working like the planner, the Achilles, but, I would back off. So I'd mix them up. I know that if I went out and had to run that whole thing and just obviously put all the load through the feet and the plantar and the calves and Achilles, I probably would have had plantar fasciitis within four days. But the ability to just be able to hike up those stairs and have a flat, stable base instead of a a slope like on a hill, that was probably the secret source of the the whole event. The only reason I kept going. You know, if you had to put me on a on a mountain for that event, there's no way that I could have done that load on a mountain. Um, I would have had no business being there, but the ability to do it just shows that it was just kind of low impact and not hurting the body. Um, and it's funny because I've I, I listened to a podcast the other day and it was with Matt Fraser, 
And they say one of his secret secret source items throughout the, his his reign in the games, he had a stairmaster in his in his garage. He didn't tell anyone about this until a couple of years ago, and I don't. He doesn't say what he did on it. He, it used to be a salt bike. He used to get up in the morning, Fraser Matt Fraser, the obviously the CrossFit Games champion, and he I think he'd do ninety minutes every morning on the assault bike, low zone two. But as his career progressed, he has had a stairmaster, and I'd hate to think the volume he'd put on on that. But he could have been doing an hour of stairmaster every day. You know, that's that's a thousand meters gain. Um, and I believe it, the loading I put through on my body, he could have been doing that. And that's why he was probably a good runner. I don't think he was going out and doing much running. He was doing a bit with Hinshaw on the track for efficiency. Um, but I think he was doing bulk bulk stairs, um, hmm. which is yeah crazy to think. Uh, but you do still need to then go and layer in all the efficiency work. So I do a lot of I took a lot of Diaz's stuff. So I, I know you were talking about with VJ about his MSD work. So I use MSD mechanical skill or mechanical speed development on all my run work now. So running up to that highest threshold mechanical like speed that you can run with good form. So I'll do intervals running up to how fast can I run at 180 beats per minute? Um, so over time, when I get really good at this, I might start off at, a two minute interval and I'm running three minute, three minute 40 pace at 180. And as soon as it starts to creep into 183s, 184s, I know I'm having to work too hard and overwork my body. And the only way I can overcome that is a better stride, better stride length, more power off the ground and then better hip angle. So as I get better at that and open the hips up, get stronger, that pace becomes 330, 320. Now I'm running 315 per kilometer for two minutes at 180 steps per minute with just a really nice stride angle so i'll i'll use i use that now for all my all my interval work and sometimes i'll throw them into an easy run just some msd work almost like a stripe it's a bit slower you're not at that sprint space sprint pace see this this is the piece that people are missing out on hearing when they criticize the low run volume approach and say, you can't be a good runner off low volume. You can, but you have to do it right. You can't run 30 miles a week or, you know, 40 kilometers or 50 kilometers or whatever it is, whatever is low for you and be good. They have to be intentional miles for you to improve. And that, I mean, how many people do you think are taking that sort of, interest in their stride oh yeah i don't think very many are yeah definitely not i mean i mean i i'd heard about it but diaz kind of opened my eyes to it um probably two or three years ago and when i implemented it it was just crazy that the way i could run after it and i know vj uses it i know i think you guys would definitely be using it um but yeah msd works amazing i definitely recommend a lot of people try it and use it and He's got a lot of information out there. Um, I've kind of just taken every bit of work he's ever put out there and just screenshotted it and and use it in my training. And I've I've given it to athletes and people I work with and mates. And um, yeah, it, it works for everyone really well. That is that piece that ties together the the tempo work, the long stair work. College, all I was low mileage, twenty miles per week, sometimes thirty. And I could run a good 800 for me and a good mile for me. And then post-collegiately, I ran almost the same mile time off 
threshold work and long hill work, but I was doing those little pieces. And when I didn't do those little pieces, I could still run a decent 5K, but I couldn't run a mile anymore. Couldn't do it. I just, I just couldn't. But when I was only doing the speed work, I couldn't run a 5K because my form just wouldn't last. It's that, that's that binding agent between, between both camps right there that has to be present in some facet, especially if you're doing really big mileage or really little mileage. A hundred percent, yeah. And I, I never go away straight too far from any element. I mean, I, I do use periodization, but I, I build that into my programming. I mean, I've probably got a, I've probably got a head off soon, but I think we're going to have to do a second podcast and we can kind of dive into more of the background, if you want, of how I train, and then look at some of some of the records and how and why and what I use to train them, and um, yeah, how you can get to a goal without breaking your body too bad. How long do you have? You got to go soon, like real soon. The slopes are calling. I've probably got to go, and I've probably yeah, we've got to get out there early today because it's going to be a busy day, I think. And um, if we're not up there, we won't get a park on the mountain. Sorry, boys. Uh, we can go another five minutes if you want, and then. Oh, uh, I really wanted to dive into your uh, your emotional um, peace effect and stress affecting injury, but we'll have to save that. But I'm not let that's that's one. Yeah, yeah let's let's talk about that for a bit for sure. Okay, well, we like to twist the knife here, and you mentioned your divorce a couple of times or your separation. Um, and obviously, you said there's some good lessons learned through all this, right? You, you're taking some positives out of some of the, the glass half-empty sort of things that in your life potentially. Like, what do you think the tie is, like, through your experience between, like, emer- emotional tro- turmoil and stress? And you, you referred to it with your meniscus. You referred to it a couple of times now. I just want to hear your take on that because I'm a firm believer in emotional stress, physical stress, it's all the same. The body wears it the same. People never think about the emotional side of things affecting their energy and their their health. So, floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's not it's a topic that's not really spoken about too much. I mean, especially in the training world, everyone's just all them all they're monitoring is their their Strava load, their weekly distance, their time, but they're not looking at any, I mean, they're aware of it, but they're not met trying to measure everything else. They're not looking at, you know, the difficulty of bringing up kids and financial stress and um, breakups. And I think for me, um, I've always been pretty resilient as the as far as the body goes and smart with the training. But with my and I, and I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, I'm in a really good place. I've I've you know, I've, I've come leaps and bounds and I'm in a, in a better place than I ever have been, which is, which is hard to, weird to think after, you know, such a big breakup that everyone goes through. But I, for example, I tore my meniscus pretty much within two weeks of when we ended. So um, it was a build up. It was a build up coming into it. And like I, the year leading into it happening, I ended up injuring my shoulder when I was training for Murph, I injured my foot when I was training for the firefighter mile, which is one mile in fiery gear. And then pretty much within a couple of weeks of it ending, I tore my meniscus and I went back and I tried to look at my training and I've got everything. Like I, I, I write all my, all my training down. I looked at it and I, I thought I've pinpointed where it was, but it was the, it, the overarching thing was, you know, I'd just gone through, I was in the process and the month leading into it was going through a, through a marriage breakup and it happened pretty much as we broke up. So yeah, it's, it's pretty powerful 
what impact that can have. And when I'm, I think looking forward for an athlete, it's just being smart about your training. And if you're going through any kind of emotional stress or trauma, it's, it's throwing a deload week in for those weeks. It's not necessarily basing everything on your volume and leading up to it. If you know, you've got a mentally demanding week coming up or emotionally stressful week, it's throwing in deload weeks around those times. Um, so you don't get injured because I've, I've found most of mine are all, all around those, those traumatic times. If you had to be more specific with it, poor nutrition, stress, um, like not sleeping, uh, any of those, is there any like other direct factors you could correlate or was it like overarching, just stress with the situation? Would you say? Um, I think, yeah, definitely sleeps. I mean, I, I use one of people use Garmin watches and aura rings and whoop straps. So I've just got an aura ring. So it kind of shows me my sleep scores and my readiness and my HRV. And I look back at that time and everything was trending in the way that I thought it was physical stress, but it was, it was definitely the emotional stress. So you start to, your sleep starts to be poor. Um, you know, you can't get to sleep, your deep sleep drops. Um, I was luckily pretty always good with my, with my, with my, with my nutrition, but yeah, there's definitely a lot that can be said for or everything that's going to happen when you're emotionally stressed. When I have athletes who things aren't going well, and I believe their heart rate metrics are good on the recovery runs, meaning they're recovering enough on their recovery runs, they're hitting hard workouts, and then they go to race day and they lay an egg or something. It just doesn't add up. And I say, okay, we got to look at everything else then, because I believe your metrics are on par. Like what would be like the warning? Like what would be like some of the warning signs if you looked back? Like what would they be? I'd say um... – like with my training, I was starting to pull away from training with people. So one of the big things I look back and people said there's a huge difference. Like I stopped, I stopped wanting to hang it. You know, you start being a bit recluse. You start, instead of having all those team training sessions and training with mates, you start to train by yourself. Um, you start to, you know, you start to find a hard to sleep. You, I think you start to pull away from people a bit, which was what I was doing. And I thought I was in this awesome training block i'm like i'm hitting everything well my numbers are amazing um but i'm just i was just doing everything by myself so for six months i was you know i wasn't speaking to people i wasn't calling mates as much i was pulling away from the world and i was putting myself into the training um which was a good way for me of doing it I, it was a, a good training block but i it wasn't healthy and people use you know all different vices and and ways of coping i you training was my that was my heroin. That was, I luckily just used it. And, but a big sign looking back, I was just, I love training with people now. I always have, but I, every session I was just, it was by myself. I'd come into the gym. I wouldn't speak to people as much. I'd do my, my session and then I'd leave. So yeah, I think when you start to pull away and pull away from people and wanting to be around them and train with them, especially if you're, you're in the training world, it's a, it's a pretty big sign right there. Hmm. I'm happy with that. <laughs> I'm not going to push it. He's got to go. I know there was a lot of things, other things we wanted to talk about as well, but I'm, I'm happy to uh, do a follow up with you guys later and um, dive into some of the training for the mile and the, the Murph and when I'm going to hit them again and and, uh, and see you boys again. Are you, do you have any trips planned? Uh, at the moment, Yancey wants me to come over and do the uh, the Decker World Champs. Um, mm-hmm which I actually think I'm more suited to Decker than High Rocks. 
If you don't, it's just the DECA US champs. <laughs> I know. Well, it just it, it comes down to I'm actually I've got a trip to I'm going to Vegas in New Year's Eve for my best mate's wedding. Um, so I've got Vegas and New Year's Eve into, into try and do a holiday around that, but competing wise, I mean, I did the Decker in, in LA at the, at the end of that last trip. And I think I went, I was like a 31, 18, I think I was about 90 seconds off Kent's record uh, time and I felt horrible. I've never, running has never been so hard. Like I was, my CNS was completely shot and I hadn't done any specific speed endurance or training for it. So I think if I, if I trained for Decker, I'd probably be pretty solid. Um, so maybe we can work out that trip that I might, I might do a, a big focus on, on Decker up to then. But apart from that, there's nothing on the cards. I'm kind of, I'm kind of open at the moment. I'm just, I'm just, you know, realizing these new training, training uh, tools I'm, and I'm bringing them in and might do another big stair block and, um, yeah, see what we should go for. Well, you've got me intrigued to do a big stair slash hill block for, uh, and try it before an actual stair or hill race. Yeah, I mean, it does work. <laughs> well, I'll uh, I'll go through. I'll send you all the details of. I've got all my training sessions written down for it. I'll I'll show you what I did. It's pretty easy. You can go back and look at my Strava last October. But I definitely, yeah, it definitely gave me a crazy boost that. Um, you just got to have 13 hours a day. That's all you need, really. That's it. Anyone can do it. <laughs> Chris, if people want to, if people want to follow along with you, where uh, where do they find out about you? What you're doing? Uh, all that stuff. Uh, I'm just on Instagram at the moment, so it's uh, underscore Chris Woolley underscore. Easy Simple enough. enough. Yeah. Well, don't let us keep you from the slopes. <laughs> That's right. Get out there and shred a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I'll break your shoulder today on the slopes. See what happens. <laughs> that means we stressed you. <laughs> it does. <laughs> did Did you um, have a look at my Instagram story from yesterday? Um, and you'll see what I do on the slopes. Well, I'm going to have to do that then. That'll be the teaser. Well, thanks for the time, Chris. Go enjoy. All right. Good to talk to you, boys. I'm um, looking forward to the next one. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.